welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your the Cubs have created a vaccinated section at Wrigley Field home for news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, part of the SB Nation family of team sites. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy our baseball banter, make sure you leave a five-star review to help other people find Cup of Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs for Bleed Cubby Blue and various baseball takes, including like the never-ending array of no-hitters, apparently, for fan graphs. Hi, guys. I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek, and I am um, working on and pledging to feel better because I get to go to a live baseball game tonight. I am so excited. Yay! Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you are going to be there. Are it's a, your first one? Um, yes. Since oh gosh, yeah, since 2019, it's my first baseball game. So yeah, bring tissues. I <laughs> listen. I got to bring tissues for many reasons, but yes, I have a feeling that there will be tears. But I also have a, a bit of a cold that I'm dealing with, so I apologize if I sound all sniffly in your guys's ears. <laughs> Yeah, I um. So I don't remember what St. Louis's bag policy is, but Wrigley lets you bring in like this little tiny bag. It's like a nine by five clutch or something. And one of my pockets of my little purse was just like filled with tissues because I knew that I was going to cry and I was going to cry a lot. Uh, yeah, I cried. I can't even imagine what it was like to be there that that Monday. I think was it Monday that was your first game back? No, actually, I've gone to a few. Like I actually went to their first homestand. Um, but Monday, I went with our friend Ken to see oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Yes, Lester yes. and Schwarber come back, yes. and we are going to talk about that. In fact, let's just jump into it right now, because that's sort of where we're at in the rundown here. Um, yeah, so Kyle Schwarber and John Lester came back. It was emotional. I kind of loved how the Cubs did this. So obviously, like, Cubs fans cheered for both of them constantly. But because Lester was starting that game on Monday, they they didn't want to do all of his like, yay, John Lester, we love you forever right before he pitched. You know, he's such a creature of habit and he's such a contender that that just wouldn't have worked well with him at all. So they did Schwarber's little ceremony on Monday and they showed his video, which was incredible. And they gave him the number 12 from the scoreboard, which I just thought was such a cool gift. And obviously we all clapped for him a million times. And then on Tuesday, they did Lester's thing and Lester's video was great. It actually had a ton of fan clips from various YouTube things and Twitter things. You can see it on the Cubs account if you go online. We'll make sure to link that from the Cup of Cubby Blue account. But then they gave him the two uh, Wrigley bleacher seats, or two, not bleacher, the grandstand seats, the old ones, that a lot of people from the front office and our friend Michael Bowling, friend of the show, and others had signed um, and a W flag that had notes from the team on it, which was just, it was incredible. Yeah, I agree. That was um, so well done and very thoughtful. And um, you kind of um, had hoped they would they would do something like that just simply because, you know, he was such a fan favorite and somebody that fans had grown very close to. And the whole big thing about last year and the way that the year closed out and the way that the season closed out and his last start and everything was very emotional because, I mean, you know, last year in itself was emotional, but because there were no fans to kind of see him off the field. So to have a little bit more fan input on his video and that sort of thing, I think was very appropriate and made a lot of sense, especially when you're talking about John Lester, because, um, as somebody spoke in the video and as many people have noted, he is somebody that very much has molded, helped mold the culture of baseball for the Chicago Cubs today. 
And, you know, the fans have so much to thank him for as far as, you know, the, the style of baseball and the level of baseball and, you know, just the whole, um, how Chicago Cubs baseball is these days. We have a lot to thank John Lester for, for that. So yeah, I think that was very well done. And obviously you don't want to distract him. You know, he's, he's somebody that still, um, is very good friends with a lot of people in the front office, a lot of people on the team. I mean, just all over Wrigley, as he said in the video, you know, Chicago is home. So, you, you know, you feel some loyalty, loyalty to him there as far as not wanting to, to, you know, mess up his routine and, and, you know, get in his head or anything like that. So I think it was, it was a great plan to do all of that on Tuesday. I will say I was a little disappointed and maybe this is just me as, um, how I was feeling and where I was at. I was a little disappointed that he was, I felt like, cause they showed him, um, watching the video. Like they had a camera in the dugout of him watching the video while it was split screen while you're actually playing the video. And I felt like he was very nonchalant about it. And maybe that's because he was, he has kind of already had wrapped it up in his head. And this was kind of like, you know, more for the fan type thing and not really, you know, I don't know, but I just felt like he was very nonchalant about it. And actually at one point in the video, you see Davey Martinez come over and say something to him and they both kind of chuckle. And like, in my head, I'm like, what did he just say? <laughs> Cause you kind of wonder what the feeling is there. There is a lot of ex Cubs um, on Washington. So it was just it, that whole dynamic right there. I, I mean, I love John Lester. I know that he is very much a, you know, not an emotional type guy. Like you're not going to get a ton of emotion for him, but I was just a little disappointed in how nonchalant he was about it. And honestly, you know, they say him and Schwarber both say there's no hard feelings. There's nothing, but you wonder, is that really the case? Like, is he just a little like, yeah, thanks for the video. You can offer me one year so I could do this in a Cubs uniform, that sort of thing. So I just, I kind of wondered about that. And that was just something that was really, I couldn't have been the only one that was watching that and thinking that because it was just very, you know, it, it, it just, it just kind of very neutral about the whole thing. And I was like, I'm over here, like with a box of Kleenex and John Lester's just like, do, do, do. Thanks guys. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I actually thought that he showed a little bit more emotion on the night that he was pitching, which was kind of interesting to me. I also Mad props to Wilson Contreras, who, when both Kyle Schwarber and John Lester came to the plate and were getting their fan ovations, Wilson immediately, like, stepped out in front of the plate to kind of pause the game and just let them bask in that moment. And I'm probably going to cry again talking about this, but I just thought that was so great. And the other thing that I don't know if they caught on camera with Lester, I know they did with Schwarber because I went back and watched it in the game later but Wilson also gave each of them kind of a bro hug as they came to the plate and I was like that's so Wilson right like he is he is gonna hug his guys that's it that's who he is and I just I thought that was really well done and I, I loved that I loved seeing him sort of make sure that they got their moment oh absolutely that was just I mean all around I just think it was so class so classily done like just from all standpoints you know um, the Washington teammates were cheering. I mean, they showed a picture of, um, you know, Starlin Castro cheering, which, you know, I mean, he's an ex cub and, and, you know, he's still well loved in Chicago, in my opinion. Um, he was somebody that, you know, obviously did not play his best baseball here, had good seasons, didn't play his best baseball. I still think he's like a hit machine. It's crazy, but, um, 
The other thing I was going to point out that I absolutely love and I'll never forget, and I kind of hope that somebody makes a t-shirt with this because I just think it was probably one of the better hilarious moments and kind of just like says everything you need to know about the relationship. But when John Lester hit that ball to Anthony Rizzo and he just very casually grounded it and all you see is John Lester running to first and not running, I shouldn't say running, I should say trotting um not really jogging <laughs> and he just mouths the words i hate you to rizzo <laughs> that was just fantastic <laughs> just fantastic and you just kind of knew something like that was going to happen because rizzo was just so casual about how he fielded the ball and he just kind of jogged to first to just you know step on the base and then you see lester i hate you <laughs> it's just so great I mean, Rizzo didn't really have to move to field that ball. He was just standing no. there and the ball no. just kind of like dribbled straight to him. So Rizzo just kind of flicked <laughs> yeah. his glove and then stepped over and it was done, which is part of why it almost seemed, I'm sure Lester felt like a little insulted. Like, couldn't you make it look like I hit the ball in a way that <laughs> was a challenge for you to field? Honestly, that's a perfect metaphor for this entire series. Because I think this four game series with the Nationals went about as well as the Cubs could have anticipated they were in every game they won three out of four it was really all cubs this week at wrigley field which is exactly what they need to do if they are going to get back in the hunt of this thing and if i remember correctly i think they're two and a half or three games back of st louis heading into a series with st louis which we'll talk about um three games back three games back thanks andy uh i will talk about that in depth after we recap the national series and run down some of the news in and around the league. But Andy, what did you see from the Cubs this week while they were taking on the nationals in from a game perspective, rather than from a relationship perspective? Um, Their bullpen. I mean, wow. Um, it just, you know, just looks so good right now. So good. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, I feel like probably getting to the level um the best level of pitching that he's done in a Chicago Cubs uniform um, just looks dominant. You, you, you almost feel bad. Like I felt bad for Kyle Schwarber. Like I, I would have swung at that also. <laughs> I mean, like that was, that was a really nasty pitch. I mean, just such a highlight. There's so many good things from this series. I think that we're starting to see some good baseball. However, I do get cautiously optimistic when they come to St. Louis because I feel like it's kind of like a, a human drain of good baseball. And um, I don't know. You kind of hope that carries over because I definitely – I did not feel like um, – I felt like splitting this series would be a win for us. You know what I mean? Like that was just – we'd walk away splitting the series and I would be happy. So winning the series – and they they honestly had the potential to sweep this series. So um, to walk away winning the series three out of four is is awesome. I mean, it, it was nice to see some bats heat up. Ian Happ, holy moly! Um, you know, I I don't even know what to say. I love Ian Happ when he's hitting. Like it just feels like he takes the team with him. You know, like you everybody kind of exhales when when Ian Happ starts to heat up and he's making great contact and hitting home runs and he just looks really good out there very comfortable Nico Horner um good luck getting balls through the infield on his side I mean just insane now granted you know there was a couple times when he nabbed some really hard hits and didn't necessarily make outs but he saved runs he actually game three I think he actually saved that game for the Cubs because Honestly, if he if that ball would have gotten through the infield, two runs would have scored. So 
um, to keep that ball in the infield like he did and still not um, make it out, I still think was a, such a huge play. And his defense overall is just, I mean, <laughs> there's no wonder why that man is playing every day. He should be in the lineup every day as far as I'm concerned. And you almost are like, you know, Nico, could you tone it down a little bit? Cause you're making the Cubs look really silly for not, for you not starting the season in the majors, but I get it. I get it. I, I won't, I won't go there too much, but yeah, I mean, it's it, all around play. I think was just awesome. This series. I definitely, um, you know, you, I don't wonder if, if there was something a little bit more behind it, like we can win without you type thing to their former teammates, um, because I know these guys are very likable ex-Cubs and they're friends with still a lot of people in the dugout, but I will say these guys can win without them. I know that there is some major concern about, you know, who is the better left fielder. Um, you know, Jack Peterson definitely was heating up, had some very good at bats. Um, it, it just, it, it was a great all around series. I think for every aspect of Cubs baseball, you, you see, you know, Adbert Alzale have such a, um, a great start. I, I, I'm just really excited. I'm very excited for them to play St. Louis because I think um, as I read in a couple headlines, I think how they play this series will help determine, you know, the focal point on where this team is going the rest of the year. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I'm fine with Nico Horner making the Cubs front office look silly. He absolutely should have started the season with the team. I don't know what they were doing there. Like, I get it. You wanted to give David Bodie and Ildemaro Vargas some at bats, whatever. Um, Ildemaro Vargas no longer with the Cubs. The Cubs had to DFA him to make room as they were doing some roster moves. The Pirates picked him up. So the next time we see our friend Ildemaro, he will be wearing black and yellow. Uh, the... But yeah, that infield defense with Horner at second and Javi at short is just, I <laughs> love it. It's on fire. <laughs> it's so great. And the the hitting has really been good lately and situational. And I, you know, it's, it's not all sunshine and roses. The Cubs lost Jason Hayward, who was on the 10-day IL with a hamstring injury, holy rash of hamstring injuries in baseball at the moment, both Jake Marisnik and Jason Hayward dealing with hamstring injuries at the moment. And Derek Rhodes over on Twitter uh, released a chart yesterday that tracked how many hamstring injuries there are through May relative to previous seasons. And it is through the roof. So we will make sure that we tweet that one out as well. But it, if you feel like, wow, there's all these muscle injuries, what is going on? How are players, it seems like players are getting hurt more. You are 100% correct. Uh, they're getting, they are having those sort of hamstring calf muscle issues at a rate that is higher than what you've seen in previous seasons. And teams are going to have to figure out a way to keep their guys healthy. In the meantime, what I think that means for the Cubs is you'll see more of Chris Bryant in the outfield. He's been awesome, whether he's in right field or left field. He's even played some passable center field. Uh, Happ and Peterson are both heating up at the moment, so I'm fine seeing them get a ton of at-bats right now while they're both swinging a hot bat, which we'll talk about when we preview the Cardinals series a little bit. But the Cubs hitting all of a sudden does not mean that MLB is hitting. There is a epidemic of no hitters right now and I had written a piece for Fangraphs asking two no hitters ago if it was the year if 2021 was the year of the no hitter and then Spencer Turnbull and Corey Kluber threw them back to back and just just a couple of fun facts about no hitters before we jump into it a little bit the first is that they're happening at 
almost a 1% rate right now. Like out of 100 games, you will see a no-hitter uh, 0.9% of the time. And that is basically double the seasons where there have been the most no-hitters ever. Seven is the record from 1901 to now. So we are already at six. <laughs> which sort of seems like that seven record is going to go the way of the dodo bird. But the all-time record, like if you go back to the 1800s, it was eight in 1884. And it kind of feels like that one is falling too. Andy, why can't anyone get a hit these days? (laughs) Well, didn't somebody too, I think somebody that uh, was quoting some of your work tweeted that the projected amount of no hitters this year is going to be 10. Yeah, it was Max May. Yes, thank you. I think I think that number is low. I mean, we're at six and it's the end of May. I think that number is going to be low. Now, keep in mind, too, with the change of months will come a change of weather, a change of how the ball travels, and that includes pitching. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I could see – I definitely think they're going to crush the eight no-hitters this season. That's only two more no-hitters, and considering we've had two no-hitters this week – that doesn't seem like a whole lot. So um, it, it, I don't know. I mean, I mean, this goes back and I feel, I feel like a complete broken record, but this goes back to my whole thing about the baseball. You know, I mean, I feel like the makeup of the ball is, is major league baseball is either messing with it to, you know, tweak what they think the league needs. And, you know, because there was so many, home runs and there was so much hitting so many grand slams you know I think we had a grand slam every night for like a week at one point last year I mean it was crazy right so now they tweak it the other direction and now we're in like a complete no hitter spree so I think it has some to do with the makeup of the ball um now as far as numbers and the scientific facts behind that I can't back any of that up I am just one of those you know, seeing eye test people who I just looking at the trends based on last year to this year. I just, I I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, You know, and I also wonder too, like any kind of um, statistics on spin rate too, that would probably need to be looked at because that is probably something that goes hand in hand with that. You know, I mean, pitchers are, Everybody, everybody in professional sports get stronger and they find different ways to train and they find different ways to get better and, you know, to, to, to defeat the opponent, you know? And so, and that's just been something that has been historically true in every sport, but wow, to have such a difference between last year with all of the hitting and this year with all of the pitching, you know, you really, you really got to kind of dissect the numbers and where it looks like it's coming from. But my theory would be, it would be the, the makeup of the baseball itself. Yeah. You are not alone in that theory. Our friend, Mer- Dr. Meredith Wills has been begging for baseballs to dissect out on Twitter because she believes that the ball has something to do with this too. So if you have some baseballs, be sure that you send them her way, you know, just a couple of quick stats there so that people are as they're as people are thinking about this, like the league batting average is the lowest that it has been since 1901. And and one of the things to keep in mind that like 1901 to 1921 was part of the dead ball era. So the idea <laughs> that players are hitting worse than they were in the dead ball era is sort of mind blowing to me. But the year of the pitcher, the year that resulted in the mound being short, like moved down and a whole bunch of other changes, uh, that year hitters were hitting 237. This year they are hitting 236. And that is really concentrated 
in a couple of teams, which I, I just want to highlight for a second, because when I sort the Fangraphs leaderboard by batting average and look at these teams, a few of them really stand out, and two of them have been no-hit twice at the very bottom. So the six no-hitters so far have actually all been three teams. It's been Seattle, it's been Cleveland, and it's been Texas. Uh, Seattle is batting 198 as a baseball team. They are below the Mendoza line. Cleveland is not much better. They're at 213. And then right above them are our friends from Milwaukee who are also batting 213 as a team. It feels like Milwaukee is going to get no hit any day now at this rate. Uh, The Rangers, for those of you who are wondering, since they are the other team that has been no hit twice, are tied for 14th with the race and St. Louis. And they're all hitting 235. I mean, people are just not getting hits. And there are lots of people looking into the variations of what's going on with the ball. But it seems like the best answer came from Devin Fink over at Fangraphs, who looked at the hits that used to be home runs. Like, he basically looked at the hits that traveled 102 to 104 miles per hour off the bat and what happened to those. And most of those were home runs in 2019. But now about a third of those are just long flyouts. So it's not like they turned home runs into doubles or triples or more action. They turned home runs into more outs. And so I absolutely agree with Andy that tinkering around with the baseball had an unintended consequence of just supercharging pitchers and making offense even harder in a game where it was already hard. I do not think that we used to look at numbers like BABIB and say, oh, well, the standard league BABIB is going to be right around 300. That's not true anymore. The standard league BABIB is going to be is somewhere around like 280, 270 and falling. Right. And so if you see trends like that, where the batting average on balls in play just keeps going down and teams really are just struggling to hit the baseball at all, you've got to do something to fix that because you cannot have a game where It's hard enough to hit a baseball when you're doing it like one out of every three times, right? When you start moving it down to like one out of five, that's absolutely anemic in terms of offense. Oh, yeah. And if Milwaukee could hold off on that no-hitter until the end of June, that would be fabulous because that's when we go to Milwaukee. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say the the Cardinals are right there with the Rangers. So if Kyle Hendricks wants to get his no-hitter out of the way, he, he took one into the last out. Once upon a time, I feel like, you know, maybe Kyle can throw a no hitter for Andy and our friend Aaron, who will be in St. Louis at the games tonight. I feel like we relive this moment every time we talk about Cubs Cardinals. And I was at that game when Kyle Hendricks almost had the no hitter. And I was sitting with a friend of mine from St. Louis. And this is like this, this cuts deep. But like literally right before he gave up to uh, the home run to um, Jeremy... I can't remember his name. I know his first name. Obviously, it's the same as my husband's. I can't remember his last name. Something ridiculous. Um, But he gave up this home run to him. The gentleman I was with, I will not throw him under the bus, shouted as loud as he could. And mind you, we were sitting like on top of the Cubs dugout. So he definitely heard us. He shouted, you have no hitter. Don't give up a hit. And of course, everybody knows when you do something like that, you give up Hazel Baker. That's his name. Jeremy Hazel Baker. Um, you give up a hit. So that is exactly what Kyle Hendricks did. And um, all the Cubs fans that were around us booed the guy I was with. Um, he is a well-known St. Louis person, but he was still booed in Bush by Cubs fans, which was good. It was awesome. But that part was really upsetting. The Cubs still won, but it was still upsetting that he had no hitter into like the, the bottom of the eighth, I think it was. 
Yeah, I I actually couldn't remember Jeremy's last name either. So I'm glad that you did. I was going to say he was just one of those annoying dudes who the Cardinals seem to find who was good in St. Louis and then tries to go somewhere else and he's not. And it's like this is he's one of those just annoying pesky Cardinal farm people. <laughs> and actually, his name to me was Jeremy freaking Hazelbaker. <laughs> I love that. Uh, we're going to talk more about the new guys who are the next Jeremy freaking Hazel Bakers on the Cardinals on the flip side. We're also going to talk about why Tony LaRussa is still the worst. But first, we have to take a quick break for our sponsors. All right, Andy, let's recap what's been going on on the south side of Chicago, because we talked about this when the LaRussa hire was made and both of our both of our minds were blown. We were just like, why would you hire Tony LaRussa to manage this White Sox team? It seems like such a bad fit. They have so much swagger and they're so fun. And Tony LaRussa is none of those things. He's kind of a dinosaur who likes the unwritten rules and all of the things that don't mesh well with the White Sox. And yet, the White Sox have one of the best records in baseball. They seem to be winning some baseball games. So your mean Mercedes, who might be my favorite non-Cub story of the baseball season, this dude who just like spent 10 years in the minor leagues, not getting a look for, from anyone, comes up and joins the White Sox major league roster because Eli Jimenez tore his pectoral muscle in spring training trying to rob a home run. And look, for future reference, don't do that. Don't don't try to like make heroic plays in spring training when it doesn't matter that are going to injure you and pull you out of the season for the rest of the season. But Aloy's injury in this instance meant that your mean Mercedes got a shot and boy, is he taking advantage of his shot in the big leagues. He is so fun to watch in a, in a year where no one can hit the last time I looked, Jermaine Mercedes is hitting 364 and he is hitting everything. He is hitting home runs. He has the longest home run in major league baseball at 485 feet. He also hits singles. He beats the shift. He does all sorts. He'll like knock a little flare over your heads just to be annoying. He's incredible. He's probably going to be the AL rookie of the year if he keeps this up. And so the White Sox are blowing out the twins. It's 15 to four. Williams Astadio is on the mound because the twins have given up in this game and they're letting a position player pitch. He throws a 47.1 mile per hour EFIS over the plate and your mean crushes it for a home run which is amazing and fun. And now your mean is in trouble with Tony LaRusso who said, and I'm not going to say all the things LaRusso said the next day, because frankly, there were so many of them. It would take the rest of the show for me to name all of the things that Tony LaRusso said that were problematic. But amongst other things, he said that your mean would have a consequence within the family, which that's just a weird way to phrase whatever is going on in your clubhouse. But he also later when the twins threw behind Mercedes, which, Duffy was suspended three games for, he said, yeah, I just didn't have any problems with that because they, they threw low and that the twins handled it well. And I'm like, did you honestly just defend the twins throwing at your rookie of the year candidate because he hit a home run? Because that is terrible. But the worst part about this for Tony LaRusso, as far as I can tell, and then I swear to God, Andy, you're up next, that is the part where he's losing the clubhouse over this. Tim Anderson's on social media getting your mean Mercedes back. Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn, the one guy out of the entire White House clubhouse that I was like, like if the White Sox were going to have a dude who was going to take TLR's side, it was definitely going to be Lance Lynn. And Lance Lynn was like, nah, the game has changed. And I think the unwritten rules are kind of dumb. What is going on in the white with the White Sox? Does Tony LaRussa even have any credibility in that clubhouse at all? I mean, <laughs> I, I 
don't even know where to start with this. This is like really, um, it's frustrating in the sense of somebody that loves baseball and loves to watch these kids succeed and have an, a somewhat of an idea of, you know, the struggles that a lot of them have to get to the point where they are. Not to mention the struggles of the Chicago White Sox, like to actually field a very good, you know, likable team and be talked about in a positive sense by a couple of Cubs fans. You know what I mean? So like when they hired Tony La Russa, my mind was blown and my in the sense that in many ways, but in the sense that you have such a young core of, I mean, just ridiculous talent. And guys that are fan favorites, guys that are so easy to cheer for, guys that are easy to love. They're, you know, great players that bust their butt in the field, make the game exciting. And then you bring in somebody like Tony La Russa, who comes in and basically just, you know, throws water on the whole parade. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's ridiculous to me that not only is he saying the things that he's saying about some of his young, likable guys, he's saying it in the media. He's saying it in the public. So he's making his team just look stupid. And then he's also like basically anybody that he may have had in that clubhouse, anybody that may have backed up his style and like been okay with the prehistoric baseball times is probably out the door now. Like they're probably like, okay. It's one thing to preach to us about the unwritten rules of the game. It's another thing to take it to the media and then basically back up the other team for the way that they handle things. I'm sorry. If you if you are getting blown out and you and somebody rocks a home run off of you, don't get blown out. Don't get beat like that. Like it's that easy. You don't want you don't want somebody to flip the bat. Don't pitch him a ball that he's going to hit over the moon. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's so, it's so hard to like swallow the fact that a professional baseball team manager gets in the media, talks about his own team, and then basically says the way that they were dealt with by the other team was okay. I, I mean, I seriously think he needs to have an evaluation of like what is happening up there. Cause I just, I just, and, and, like, honestly, like, I'm not saying, trust me, I, I have my own mental stresses and mental health issues, but I'm saying, like, who thinks it's okay to go out there? That would be like me going out there and saying, my kid is awful. She doesn't do her homework. She talks back. She's irresponsible. I would never do that. I'm going to do that in my own home behind my closed doors. And what I choose to tell you, what you, what I choose for you to know that's that's my choice. That's what I want you to know. But I'm definitely not going to demean her and talk bad about her or anything like that to the general public. Like to me, that just makes you look weak. That makes you look like you're not somebody that's going to have your your team's back. And that's when people turn on you. End of story. Like I think he has lost the clubhouse and for good reason. So for the record, Andy's children are all angels, and there's no way that what that hypothetical is true about any of them. They are delightful children who are <laughs> phenomenal, and I enjoy following their escapades and exploits on social media. But it, it, Andy is dead on right here. Like, I think about how David Ross has dealt with this, the times, you know, like Javi Baez and Amir Garrett have this, like, ongoing 
feud, right? Like we've seen it flare up multiple times. It led to a benches clearing incident. And David Ross didn't throw Javi Baez under the bus for jumping out to defend Anthony Rizzo. He was immediately on Team Baez. You know why? Because Team Baez is his livelihood and his guy, and that's what he has to do. When the Brewers were hitting Wilson Contreras at the start of the season and Wilson got fed up about it, who did David Ross defend? The Brewers throwing behind Wilson Contreras? No, he defended his guys. He defended Wilson. He defended his pitcher, who I think did throw behind Brandon Woodruff, right? Like that is that is how you lead. And as a person who admittedly like has never managed a major league baseball team, but did run some pretty competitive debate programs back in the day, I always knew that part of my role as that team leader was to be the mama bear to protect my kiddos when they needed that protection. And that meant that I was advocating for them, right? That meant that sometimes, you know, sometimes we had to have conversations that were difficult because they had done something wrong and those were private and they were between us. I would never have lit up one of my kids like that in public the way that Larusa did with your mean Mercedes. And the last thing I'll say about this before we preview the Cubs and Cardinals, which interestingly, Tony Larusa leads to a nice segue to, is that your mean Mercedes, this is not Freddie Freeman striking out when Anthony Rizzo is on the round. Freddie Freeman is fine. He's got millions and millions and millions of dollars. He won an MVP award. He's fine. Him and his family are fine for a long period of time. Your mean Mercedes is playing for his livelihood here. Every home run he hits is important. Every hit he gets is important. His ability to stick for his 29-year-old season or his 30-year-old season or get an extension and make enough money to have this baseball experiment that he has dedicated his life to pay off for his family and his his security as a human being later depends on those hits. So he should, under no circumstances, sacrifices sacrifice one of those home runs for some unwritten code that Tony La Russa is screaming from the dugout for hashtag reasons. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I don't want to get into my like personal thoughts on this because I know that's a whole nother can of worms, but it's it, to me, it's just, you know, in this day and age, as, as some of the stuff that we've watched happen in this country, in this world over the last year, you know, the last thing that you want to see, and I know it's sport, so it's not quite as serious or dramatic, but it's still something that should be taken seriously is watching an old white man talk badly about a bunch of young kids with talent who most of them happen to be people of color. So, you know, it just, and I know I I can hear half of the, hopefully not half the audience groan when I say that, but it is true. You need to think about it. You need to think about the entitlement that Tony La Russa has had over the years being manager of such teams as the St. Louis Cardinals. I know this firsthand. I lived in St. Louis when he managed. It was it was it was ridiculous. There was a lot of things that happened um not under nas- you know underneath national radar that nobody ever knew about. Things that happened locally that got that did get released nationally. I mean, he's just um, he's not somebody that people should look up to as much as they do. I'll just put it that way. And I think it, it, it's very hard for me to like be okay with the fact that this man is so willing and so um, almost eager to, to speak badly about this group of men who are playing great baseball and have exceptional talent and um, really should not have have him for a manager. And and that's, that's my opinion. And I'm sticking to that. 
Yeah, the White Sox really are playing great baseball. They're playing fun baseball right now. Another team that is playing some great baseball, and I know this is going to pain our audience to hear it, but it is the St. Louis Cardinals who are sitting atop the NL Central with a three-game lead as the Cubs head to St. Louis for the first matchup between these two teams in 2021. I know Andy is super excited about this because she is going to the games, but I'm super excited about this because I just want, I think this series will tell us a lot about where this team is. Are they going to be buyers at the deadline? Are they going to be sellers at the deadline? Can they start to think about extending some of these players rather than trying to trade them for prospects because they show that they really can win this division and get some serious work done against the team that is in the driver's seat right now. And so let's move to this Cubs Cardinals series. Uh, It's going to be Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And yes, my friends, that means that the Cubs are on Sunday night baseball. So there will be Sunday night baseball bingo on Sunday. Be watching the Twitter account for that to go live. But our first matchup, Andy, we've got Kyle Hendricks versus Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez is returning from the IL. He was not particularly good at the start of the season before he went on the IL and he went on the IL with an ankle sprain. So it's not like he went on the IL with like a shoulder thing or something that would have impacted how he was throwing. Kyle Hendricks started the season rough, but has looked much better in his last three outings, including that one against the Pirates where he gave up a bunch of blue pits because that was just not hard contact. And normally those are outs. The Cubs defense just wasn't positioned where they needed to be for the Pirates that day. What are you thinking with Hendricks, who's just coming off of an eight inning Uh, performance last week heading into St. Louis to face this Cardinals team dueling Carlos Martinez on the map? Well, Kyle Hendricks, um, as far as I can recall, has always pitched pretty good against the Cardinals. And um, I appreciate that because for some reason, I always end up going to games that he pitches in St. Louis. So I'm good with that. My record is very good. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I will not be blamed for a loss. So um, <laughs> he, he, I feel like he always does very well. And, you know, Carlos Martinez, he's just not been the same Carlos Martinez that he has been in years past. And that is, um, speaking about the reliever Carlos Martinez and speaking about the starter Carlos Martinez, he has nasty stuff. He definitely still has, um, velocity on what he's throwing, but he just does not look as in control as he once was. And he was one of the more elite pitchers in this league for, for a while. And I just, I have a hard time watching him now because you just see that it's just, it's not quite there. It's just something is not there. And I don't know, you know, there's been some talk and I've heard, um, that he had some sort of, uh, yips problem, in the past. And this was just recent that I heard of this because at the beginning of the season, there was speculation that uh, he wasn't as injured as he had initially um, come off. So he he could have been pitching more than he was. But um, I actually like Carlos Martinez. Like, I feel like he's somebody that um, would get along with a group of guys like the Chicago Cubs. I mean, he just seems like kind of silly and fun and um, kind of uh, Javier Baez-ish. Um, I'm interested to see what his hair looks like tonight because that's always always something that um, brings some attention to him. But yeah, I think this is going to be a great matchup for the Cubs. I think with the hot bats that they're bringing into town, hopefully they brought the right group of bats. Um, they have the opportunity to really do some damage off of him. Um, he's just, like I said, not been the same pitcher. He's not, he's leaving a lot of balls over the plate and he has that velocity that I was talking about. So a lot of times when pitchers do that, they have the velocity, but they don't have the control that they are trying to, um, trying to have. 
you know, good hitters will go up there and the velocity that the pitch is being thrown at does a lot of the work. So you see uh, a hitter make good contact and that velocity coming in is what is going off. So I really hope that they're able to take advantage of that and, and hopefully come out swinging tonight. You know, I'd love to see Kyle Hendricks go out and have, um, you know, some uh, very low inning pitches, right? Low pitch innings at the beginning of the game and, you know, have another long start. Our bullpen has been worked a little bit in the past couple of games. So it'd be nice to give them some rest. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to see uh, a couple wins here in St. Louis win this series and, and really show, you know, baseball that this Cubs team is for real. You know, they, they may not, have all the big names, you know, I mean, we have a couple guys in there right now that are doing some surprising things that I don't think people really considered, um, but they can win baseball and they have been doing that against teams. I think people are surprised about. So. Absolutely. Saturday night's matchup will be on Fox. So yay. National announcers again. Um, that will feature Adbert Alzali versus Miles Michaelis, who's making his first start in 2021. He's coming off a couple of different injuries. I have absolutely no idea what to expect from Michaelis here. I'm like, he could be the lights out guy that we saw back in 2019. He could give up a bunch of runs because it's his first start in a long time. Like I have, I have literally no idea what to expect there, but Alzali has looked really good lately. He's been a victim of a little bit of bad luck. He gave up a couple of long balls to the nationals, which is the reason that he wasn't quite at his best on Monday, but He's been, you know, he's been going five innings, six innings. A lot of people were frustrated that Azalei got pulled from that Monday game. Andy lit up my phone like, why is he out? He's at 63 pitches. And I, I understood it. I think that David Ross is trying to preserve his arm a little bit. And we forget that this kid has not thrown 100 plus innings since 2016. So they, they really need him to be able to pitch long term, right? They need him to not get hurt going stretching out but it's hard to see him get pulled from games like that when he's kind of dealing right he's got a lot of strikeouts he, he's got real solid swing and miss stuff that slider is nasty it is such a nasty pitch it is beautiful to behold I think I'm looking for Adbert to have a great outing uh, against the Cardinals and I'm honestly like watching Michaelis to see what the cards have there because I, I don't know what they have well, I, I hope you're right, because this this game, actually, we have um, our seats are right next to the Cubs dugout, which will be nice because um, we're literally like, I think we look into the stairwell, like going closer to left field. And I, so I'm very, very excited to see him up close, um, watch him pitch up close. I, I think he's going to have a, a good game. You know, his past couple starts. You know, I get a little annoyed, and I know we've talked about this before, but it's always the other pitcher that that they want to talk about, you know, and it, I, I guarantee it will be no different on this national broadcast. But, you know, Adbert goes out there and he's like, I don't care. This is what I have. This is what I'm going to do. And he basically forces their hand and makes them, you know, speak about him because he's just, he's looked really, really good. And I, I'm excited about where this kid is going. And thank you for for bringing me back to reality with, yes, he needs to, he, they need to preserve his arm and um, you know, his stuff is just so nasty. If that's what it takes, then I can live with that. I, I'm totally fine with that, but I, I'm really excited about that matchup. Yeah. Miles Miklas. I, who knows? I mean, who knows? We've seen two different versions of him against the Cubs. So 
you know, you almost wonder if you're going to see both versions in this game um, because he is going to probably have a little extra oomph to himself because it's his first game back. But at the same time, when pitchers do that, a lot of times they tend to overthrow or overthink things and, you know, they lose control or they, they leave pitches hanging. And and against this Cubs team right now and, and the bats that they've had, that, that could be, you know, that could be his worst enemy. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be, it'll definitely be a great game. I'm really excited. I get to be there. Yeah, we're going to talk about the bats in one second. One last matchup to touch on on Sunday night for Sunday Night Baseball. The Cubs will have Zach Davies go into the mound. And look, if you have some concerns about Zach Davies from April, I get it. I had concerns about Zach Davies in April's two, April 2. They were kind of similar to my concerns about Kyle Hendricks. But like Kyle Hendricks, his May has been a lot better than his April. He's actually thrown a uh, thrown to a 2.11 ERA in May over 21 and a third innings, which is great. He has more strikeouts than walks, which is exactly what you want to see. And if that Zach Davies shows up, it could be a short night for Adam Wainwright, who has struggled lately. Like Adam Wainwright has is one of those guys who seems, you know, just kind of ageless, trying to figure out, still figuring out how to get guys out. He's sort of in that Lester mold or that Mad Bum mold, trying to make be crafty and make stuff happen as the old grizzled veteran. But the last time that Adam Wainwright threw, he kind of got lit up. He put six runs on the board in the first three frames. He did not look like the man who was going to get through five or six or innings. And I, I don't know. I like the Cubs chances against Wainwright for Sunday night baseball. Yeah. You know, the Cubs have, have ran into a Adam Wainwright that has scuffled a little bit before his starts against the Chicago Cubs, but I am not going to lie. Adam Wainwright is one of those guys that gets completely jacked up to play the Chicago Cubs. It does not matter if he's going out there with a crutch, a walker, or his baseball glove. He gets fired up to play the Cubs. And he always, I feel like, has done a pretty good job of, of turning his previous start around. Last year, I want to say the end of last year, he got roughed up real good before a Cubs start and then came out and I think went like six or seven innings. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to look for him to, to maybe, you know, be a little dominant towards the beginning of the game. But, you know, again, he's somebody that he's an aging pitcher. Um, he's, you know, not quite the pitcher that he was before. He still figures out ways to get out, but a good offense, a, a good hot lineup is going to come in and, and, and still, you know, tire him out and make him throw pitches and lots of pitches and probably get his pitch count pretty high. And yeah, and so I, I would guess Sunday would, would, you know, we would be dealing with a lot of bullpen pitchers. But um, again, you know, all of these matchups to me look like great opportunities for the Cubs to get some wins this weekend. So absolutely great opportunities for the Cardinals too, right? Like we're going to find out who the leader of this division is in this series should be some fun baseball down in St. Louis. I am totally jealous that Andy gets to see all of these games in person. Uh, in terms of bats, who's hitting for the Cubs right now? Honestly, I almost just said everybody. It's I think I did say everybody in the show notes, but I'll be a little bit more specific because that's more interesting. For our listeners, Ian Happ, as Andy mentioned earlier, is absolutely on fire at the moment. In the last two weeks, he's slashing 348, 375, 957. That is his slugging not his OPS, with a WRC plus of 253, just absolutely crushing the ball, really seems to fit, have fixed the launch angle problem that was causing him to drive everything that he was hitting into the ground and resulting in a lot of double plays. Would love to see that 
continue. Chris Bryant has remained hot. He's got a WRC plus of 145 right now and a slash line of 306, 419, 444. Our pal Anthony Rizzo, who was dealing, was dealing with some back tightness during the National Series, and I really hope is feeling better. WRC plus of 151. Wilson Contreras, 145. Jock Peterson, 163. I mean, Javier Baez is only at 115. He's only 15% better than league average, and all he's done in the last two weeks is slash 282, 317, 462 with two home runs. So you got to think that if that's the guy who's like struggling, I mean, this could be, we could see a lot of hits in St. Louis. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm here for that. Obviously very here for that. One name I wanted to mention that was um, seemingly getting brought up quite a bit because he seemed to be clutch and his contact was awesome and in big spots was Matt Duffy and he's been a little quiet. He was a little quiet this series, but I could see him kind of um, using some of that devil bird magic because he's one of those type of players and like really like being big in this series. I could see him coming out with a couple of clutch hits. You know, this is somebody that the Cardinals, if they know about him, they know about him outside of a Cubs uniform. So, you know, I, I just, I like little matchups like that because I think you know, it's the first time Matt Duffy is experiencing the, the rivalry. And I think everybody gets a special amped up when it's Cubs cards, you know? I mean, not just the people in the stands, but everybody, you know, the, the, the guys on the field too. So it'll be really interesting to watch some of these guys that were a little quieter uh, this last series and, and what they're able to do. Because again, this is a series that you feel like there's a bit of pressure. There's a bit of wonder on what direction the Cubs are going to go this season. And this series could help determine which direction that actually is. Yeah, you leave this series, you're only a game out of first place or even in first place and a tie if you manage to win out. Uh, this that's a much different place to be in than if you lose all three and you're six games back. So I feel like the Cubs really need to, we're going to see what this Cubs team has to offer. The Cardinals also are swinging some hot bats. Let's talk about them for a second. Uh, we have Nolan Arenado, who again, I, I will never forgive the Rockies for paying the Cardinals to take Nolan Arenado off their hands. Like what kind of ridiculous nonsense is that but it turns out Nolan Arenado can hit outside of course field shocker it's not like any of us doubted that uh he in the last two weeks is slashing 378 417 800 with a WRC plus of 227 so uh don't throw Nolan Arenado a cookie please and then a kid who I find kind of intriguing that the Cardinals just brought up is Edmundo Sosa and look number one you're going to have to change your name, kid, because the Cardinals do not get to have a Sosa. Like, that's that that's taken. The Cubs have Sosa. The Cardinals do not. We, we are not doing the Cardinals version of Sosa thing. But uh, he's had 14 plate appearances, and in those 14 plate appearances, he's slashing 300, 500, 400 with a WRC plus of 171. And then you have Tyler O'Neill with a WRC plus of 139. Dylan Carlson with a WRC plus of 135. Car Paul Goldschmidt with a WRC plus of 133 and Harrison Bader at 108, who is not Mike Trout Cardinals fans, but he is looking pretty good at the plate right now. Andy, what have you seen from the Cardinals bats? Well, I mean, I definitely think that there is the potential to do some serious damage in their lineup. And um, we've seen that in seasons past. Um, Goldschmidt has obviously always been somebody that is able to do damage very quickly. Um, 
you know, I mean, I am not looking forward to Arenado in a Cardinals uniform. I have kind of been in denial the, the past couple months that that even happened. So this will actually, I'll have to see it with my own two eyes. And, you know, that's always a little scary. I just, you always just feel like they have something up their sleeve or, um, you know, they're going to be able to do some damage against the Cubs. Now, again, our pitching, our bullpen has looked pretty solid. So, you know, hopefully we can keep them quiet at least until, you know, we can get out of town. But, you definitely are always like, it's the Cubs and Cardinals. I mean, something is going to happen. Something, you know, either completely unpredictable or this lineup is just all the way down is going to hit. And and you just, you don't know which direction it's going to go. Cubs Cardinals is always such a mystery <laughs> to me because I'm always like, oh, you know, Matt Carpenter hadn't hit a ball in a month. And now against the Cubs, he goes four for six, the whole series, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I mean, it, the lineup definitely makes me nervous, but I also feel like our pitching has been pretty, pretty decent. So um, it'll be, I like the wonderment of this series. We'll put it that way. I like the wonderment. It's, it's going to be um, exciting and fun. And like, I'm getting butterflies right now. Just talking about it. Can it be like five (laughs) o'clock? Five o'clock is going to come soon enough. And I, Andy is right. Something crazy always happens in these games. If you are not looking for the unexpected, when the Cubs play the Cardinals, you have not been watching this rivalry for very long. So it could be a wild weekend in the loo, we will be tweeting everything that we see in these games from our accounts. So be sure that you're following them. You can follow me at BCB underscore Sarah. You can follow Andy at BRYZ underscore blue. You can follow both of us and everything from the podcast at at cup of cubby blue. And we will be back next week to talk you through everything that happened in St. Louis and what the Cubs find, what situation the Cubs find themselves in as they see what they've got going up after a series against the Cardinals. Until next time, have a good one. Go Cubs.